Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. The reading today is taken from Ruth, chapter 1, verse 19, going to chapter 2, verse 3, from the um, New Living Translation version of the Bible. And it starts off uh, talking about Naomi and Ruth. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now... There was a wealthy and influential man in in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Okay, good morning, everyone. My name is Rich, and this morning I get to continue our journey through the story of Ruth that we're looking at this term and the section uh, that Carol has so wonderfully read out for us. And last week, Sarah did a magnificent job of getting us into the heart of the turmoil that Naomi and Ruth uh, would have been feeling as they left Moab and headed back towards Bethlehem. Naomi, having seen her husband and her sons die, having experienced life in a famine and life as a foreigner. Ruth, having lost her husband, having seen her hopes and dreams ripped away from underneath her, yet courageously pledging herself to Naomi and heading into the unknown of a new land, a new people and a new God. 
And today we're going to continue the story and we're going to look at what it is to walk through uncertainty, to walk through uncertainty. This is the story of two ordinary people, those on the margins of society, living through uncertainty and suffering. And that's why it's so important. It shows us how the big story, God's great plan to redeem and restore humanity and draw us back to himself, how that works itself out in the little stories of different individuals and how, therefore, the stories of our lives fit within the big story of what God is doing even now in the world. And as Naomi and Ruth journey together, you can imagine the thoughts that might have been going through their minds as they walk the dusty roads. What's it going to be like when they arrive? Will they be welcomed or scorned? Where are they going to stay? Will there, in fact, be enough food for them there? And lo and behold, they arrive, and the whole town is said to be excited by their arrival. Word gets out, have you heard? Naomi has come back. There's a buzz all around. Can this really be her? The people ask. It's been so long. She's changed so much. But she's recognized. She's remembered. There are people out there on the streets to greet her and welcome her home. But for Naomi, this isn't a moment of joy. Don't call me Naomi, she says to them. Naomi meaning pleasant. My life isn't pleasant. You don't know what's happened. You don't know the pain that I've lived through. You'd be better off calling me Mara, which means bitter, because that's how I'm feeling. That's what my life's become. I went away full, she says, but the Lord has brought me home empty. It's an emotional moment. She has returned to the place of her marriage, the birthplace of her sons, a place heavy with memories, but marred by this strange feeling that everything that made home, home, is gone. And what do you do when home doesn't feel like home anymore? The town isn't the same town. She's not the same person. Everything feels different. And for Naomi, it's deeply unsettling. And I want to pause us there for a moment because I think this is something that we can feel too. We're coming out of a pandemic, sort of, uh, into a world that has changed dramatically from the one that we knew before. In our personal lives, in our church community, our work environments, things have changed. Maybe you've grown closer to some people over the past couple of years and further from others. Maybe some people have moved out or moved away and others have come and joined. Maybe there were things that you were passionate about a couple of years ago that are barely on your agenda anymore and things that you never thought about which now seem to dominate your thinking. In our nation, there's turmoil at the highest levels. Whichever way you vote and whatever way you think of our politicians, it's clear that we're living in a moment of tremendous confusion division, and uncertainty. 
Or perhaps, like Naomi, it's not just that general sense of unease, but also the specific suffering that you faced. Maybe you're feeling the pinch of the economic and political turmoil we're living through. Maybe there are challenges of health, physical or mental, or work or family that have just left you feeling like you're running on empty. Like Naomi, you're like a car with the fuel warning light flashing away and no petrol station in sight. Maybe what makes home home has changed and is changing and you've not quite come to terms with it and it's all left you feeling unsettled and uneasy and uncertain. And if that's you, I just want to say you're not on your own. In fact, if you've lived through the last few years and you've not been unsettled at all by everything going on in our world and our communities, you've either not been paying attention um, or you're living with a level of faith in the sovereignty of God that I deeply, deeply aspire to have. We're living in deeply unsettling times. Times just like those that Ruth and Naomi faced. Immense challenges um, both at the, the national and global level and at the personal level. But Ruth and Naomi's story is a story of hope. It's the story that we need. It's the story I need when it feels like every time I turn on the news, there's another moment of chaos or catastrophe, suffering or sorrow. So what can we learn from this story? I think we learn... Three things. We learn what it is to be poured out. We learn what it is to be present with. And we learn what it is to be provided for. Poured out, present with, provided for. That's where we're going. See, Naomi's words uh, in this section are really striking. She's raging against God for all that she's experienced, pouring out what's in her heart. She's overcome by her pain even in the midst of, or perhaps even amplified by, the excitement of the townsfolk to have her back. She went away full, and she came back out empty. Everyone else is celebrating, and she just feels on her own. But as we heard a couple of weeks ago, she left in the middle of a famine, a time of incredible hardship. In fact, to leave your hometown your community, your extended family, in that culture, and migrate to a nation that has traditionally been the enemy of your people, must have been an incredibly difficult thing to do. And for us, in a culture, and particularly in a city where people are always coming and going, we can scarcely understand the cost involved in uprooting your life like Naomi did. And yet, she left full and has returned empty. She's returned empty at a time of abundant harvest. Somehow she knew fullness, even in the midst of hardship, but now that's overtaken her, and she's left only with bitterness. In fact, Job uses almost identical words in Job 27. The Psalms, too, are full of language of people being poured out in their anguish to God, for all that's befallen them, their lament for all that's gone wrong. 
And I'll be honest, I find these verses hard to read because my tendency is the opposite. When I'm struggling with God, my natural instinct is to hold it in. Don't give voice to it. Maintain the stiff upper lip. Keep calm and carry on. Like Ross from Friends, I'm fine. (laughs) But Naomi doesn't hold it back. She pours it out. She laments how her life has gone. Lamenting is hard because it puts us in an openly dependent position. Our brokenness reflects the brokenness of the world and it's there for all to see. There's no covering it up. There's no hiding it under a bucket. We live in a culture that isn't very good at being honest about our struggles. But the truth is that failing to lament is far more damaging because it keeps God and others at arm's length. We appear okay on the outside, but behind the barriers, we're broken inside. And yet the fact that Naomi is here at all, the fact that she's arriving back in Bethlehem shows that she's not given up. She might rage against God, but here she is putting one foot in front of the other to get back to her homeland, the place of God's promises, returning to the people of God. Here she is showing up. Her expression of lament poured out is accompanied by a movement towards God's people and towards God's promises. She shows up. And sometimes showing up is all that we can do. Turning up here on a Sunday morning or tuning in online, that might be all you can manage today. And you know what? I think that's a profoundly beautiful expression of faith. Naomi's obedience in the face of suffering and disappointment shows us what the essence of faith is, not a warm, fuzzy feeling that comes and goes, but an enduring commitment to putting one foot in front of the other, even in the midst of incredible turmoil and pain. Crucially, her movement is towards community. Both Naomi's in returning home and Ruth's movement in moving towards her. I think it's really telling that Ruth, in the midst of Naomi pouring out her heart, doesn't try to cut across her. She doesn't underplay what she's feeling. She is simply present with her. What Naomi needed wasn't people telling her, oh, don't worry, I'm sure it'll be okay. It wasn't Ruth listening to her, pouring her heart out, And then saying to the townsfolk, oh, don't worry, she doesn't really mean that. She's actually really excited to be here. What she needed was Ruth present with her, listening and loving, entering into her anguish and coming alongside her. That's what love does. Love listens to lament. It's present in the pain. It doesn't always rush to solutions. That's not something we're always good at. I know my instinct, again, when someone I love is struggling, is to try and provide answers. It's to try and logic out the problem and the solution. 
But that's not always or often what's needed. Sometimes there aren't easy answers. It's presence, not problem solving, that best reveals love. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. Because as we see in the story, Naomi's lament doesn't drive Ruth away, it draws her closer. Sometimes we think that hiding our pain and our struggles helps others because we're afraid of what others will think of us or because we don't want to have to ask them to deal with us or because we think revealing our brokenness will turn others away from God. I can't let them see how much I'm struggling. But the opposite is true. Actually, when we live authentically before God and others, we create space for God's grace to work both in our lives and in the lives of those that we come into contact with. Vanitha Risner, who's an author who writes a lot on walking with God through suffering, puts it like this. Naomi's pain and bitterness could have pushed Ruth away from God as Ruth saw Naomi's struggle with God's goodness. But instead, Ruth saw that Naomi's hope, even through catastrophic loss, was in a sovereign God who was loving enough to hear and respond to her lament. Naomi is right that God is still in control. But she's wrong to interpret from her circumstances that he's abandoned her. Just as Ruth is present with Naomi as she's poured out, even more is God present with her, though she can't yet see it. He's gone before her and he's provided for her, though she doesn't yet know it. If you look down with me to verse one of chapter two, we get this little narrator's interjection where we're introduced to Boaz before he appears in the story. It's the author's way of saying to us, psst, by the way, look out for this guy. It's kind of like when a TV show starts an episode with a really dramatic scene that ends on a cliffhanger and then the opening credits roll and the words 24 hours earlier appear on the screen. Something big is coming. We don't know how exactly we're gonna get there yet. This is just a taster to whet your appetite and draw you in. So Ruth goes out to glean in the fields. She goes out to take advantage of the Israelite law that makes a really robust provision for the poorest and most vulnerable in society to allow them to gather what they need to eat. And in verse three, as it happened, she finds herself in the field of Boaz, her father-in-law's relative. And in fact, rather than underplaying it, the Hebrew here emphasizes the randomness of the encounter twice. Another translation could be, as luck would have it, she chanced upon the field of Boaz. In overstating the element of chance, it's like the author's putting up in big flashing lights a sign that says, by the way, this isn't chance. There's an unseen hand at work here. Someone is guiding the story. The coming encounter between two people at the very opposite ends of the social spectrum couldn't be more unlikely. A widowed refugee from an enemy people and a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem. This encounter is anything but random. 
God's provision is shown and God's purposes come, most often not through dramatic events for famous people, but in millions of small ways, as millions of seemingly insignificant people live out their lives. God's big story is not usually revealed by extraordinary people doing exceptional things, but by ordinary people in everyday situations. God's at work. God's at work. And that's incredibly liberating for us because it frees us from any sense of needing uh, to live like we've made it before God can use us or be at work in our lives. God is at work in this story so clearly. He's at work in the lives of Ruth and Naomi. He's drawing them to the place that they need to be to see that he has provided for them and that he is with them. He's at work in their lives and he's at work in the lives of you and me. Even when it's dark, even when it's hard, even when we can't see it, he's making a way. And the reason that I can trust that ultimately isn't because of the story of Ruth and Naomi. It's because of another story. It's because of the story of one who would also come from Bethlehem, but head out into a world of uncertainty and brokenness. One who knew what it was to live with complete fullness and yet emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant. One who was the ultimate provider, multiplying loaves and fishes, turning water into wine, all to point to himself as the one who invites everyone to come and receive the true bread of life. One who brought the very presence of heaven to earth and yet was mocked and betrayed, despised and rejected, yet never out of control. One who was himself poured out in anguish, crying out in pain in his darkest moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he experienced the true depth and cost of separation from God in a way that nobody ever had or ever will again. The little story points us to the big story. Could this be Naomi? The people exclaimed. Could this be the Messiah? They asked hundreds of years later. Could this be the savior? Could this be the one we really need? Could this really be Jesus? Son of God, ruler of heavens, author of creation, hanging on a cross, bloodied and broken. We learn what it is to walk through uncertainty by looking first and foremost to Jesus, the one bearing in himself all the chaos of the world, all the pain, all the suffering, every fractured relationship that we find within ourselves and between us and God and between us and others. We find him carrying it with him to the cross and putting it to death there. We find one who three days later rises again, 
birthing a new creation in the midst of the brokenness and messiness and uncertainty of the old in order that we might know hope both now and in the future, that we might see and trust in the living God, the one who has committed himself to the restoration of this world and who has begun that now in and through us. That's what he's doing. That's good news. It's good news for hurting and broken and insignificant people like me, living through uncertain times, walking through a world of chaos and wondering which way to go. That's what Jesus has come to offer. The one who has poured out even to death is here now, present with us, that we might know he will always provide. We're not forgotten, we're not alone, we're not at the end of the story. Ruth and Naomi's is a story of hope. And so is ours. Because each and every one of us is caught up in Jesus's story. And our invitation this morning, whatever we're going through, whatever we're living with, however this uncertainty is affecting us and impacting us, is to look to him again is to look to Jesus this morning, is to hear what he's already been speaking, what's already come through worship, to see again the wonder and the beauty of who he is and know again that he is enough, whatever we're going through. If you're here this morning and you're feeling the weight of something in particular, whether it's particular suffering that you're going through, particular uncertainty maybe that you're living with in your life at the moment, or just the weight of everything going on in the world and wondering how's that all gonna work itself out. This is a moment to respond. It's a moment to come and know God with us, Emmanuel. Jesus come to meet us again. Jesus, I pray, as we lift our eyes to you again, would you come and meet us in this place? Would we know what it is that you are more than enough, whatever we're going through? And Jesus, we take all these things that we are living with, the brokenness, the pain, the uncertainty, suffering in our world and in our lives and we lay them at the foot of the cross and we trust again that what you have done there is broken the power of them for good and that this is how we might know that God is with us he has poured himself out for us even to death and he's risen again, that we might know hope, that we might know him with us, whatever we're facing. Jesus, we come again. We look to you. We lift you high. We pray, would you meet us in this moment? 
we know that you are all that we need. Jesus, I thank you that you, the one who is high and enthroned above it all, author of creation, ruler of the heavens, did not use your status and power for your own benefit, but you came and laid down your life. You knelt before your disciples' feet and washed them. You went to the broken and the hurting and you met them. And you walked to the cross and you laid yourself down for us. Gave yourself for us. To draw us near. In this moment, Jesus, we look to you again. We thank you for who you are and for what you've done. We pray, Lord, that whatever we are living with and going through, we would know you with us. We'd know you providing for us. We'd know that wherever we are on the story, that you're not finished with us yet. Pray, Lord, we would go out from this place today renewed, reinvigorated, more full of faith and hope and expectation to see you move in our lives, in our community, in the lives of those that we know. And that, Jesus, we would keep looking to you in uncertain times as the one who is good and who is with us. Amen.